Hello and welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by co-founders of Frank Body, Jess Hatzis and Brie Johnson. When I think about brands that have capitalised on social media marketing, Frank is the first name that comes to mind. What began as a humble brown paper bag of ground coffee beans has grown into a $20 million global beauty brand. Since launching the original Frank Scrub just five years ago, Jess and Brie have won a Verve New Generation Award, been included in the Forbes 30 Under 30, and they've seen Frank sold in 141 countries worldwide. I visited Brie and Jess in the brand new Cremorne headquarters of Frank Body, so full disclosure, being a brand new space at the time of recording meant that it was an unfurnished concrete warehouse. So please be patient with me through this one, guys. I promise you it's worth it because the girls have so many pearls of wisdom for anyone with aspirations of starting a business of any kind. For any new listeners, I do record each episode on location in each founder's own space. And although what that means is, unfortunately, I don't have the most control over the recording environment. It's an element that I actually really enjoy because it gives me what I believe to be a more well-rounded look at the business, a better understanding of how the company functions. Plus, it means that the subject is as at ease as they can possibly be. I've known Jess and Brie for some time now, and I can say in all sincerity that they are two of the most intelligent and inspiring women I have ever met. So this really has been one of my favourite interviews to date. In this conversation, Jess and Brie share a top secret until now announcement that we will see come into effect in the new year, how they crafted what is arguably the most distinct voice on social media, and the series of light bulb moments that changed the course of their lives forever. So you guys both, you were both at university when you met. Mm -hmm. You were doing arts, commerce, Jess and Brie was doing journalism. Mm -hmm. She's good. Um, was beauty an industry that either of you saw yourselves working in? Is it rude if I say no? Not at all. <laughs> no. no. Not for any reason, and I, I just haven't thought of it. Yeah, no, I thought I wanted to be a political correspondent. Yeah, and I yeah. thought I wanted to work in political theory, so we Until, really followed our dreams. Exactly. <laughs> Until I started studying politics. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, isn't it? Once you like deep dive into one of those subjects... It's like the sort of shame wears off a bit. Exactly. Did either of you have an interest in beauty when you were younger? I think I've always been an avid consumer of beauty and I didn't Mm -hmm. realise that until we actually started Frank Body and then we started to realise that we were looking at everything through the eyes of ourselves as consumers. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I've always loved skincare particularly Mm -hmm. I've never been a heavy makeup girl but my mum instilled in me the value of skincare from a very young age Mm -hmm. especially importance of taking off your makeup and putting on moisturizer and putting on lip balm that's always been a part of my beauty routine Mm -hmm. and makeup has always been secondary to that I think that makes sense as well given the whole frank ethos it's Mm. not about that like heavy contour Kardashian thing but we'll get to Frank I want to start with Willow and Blake so you guys founded that in 2011 yes Mm. so you're working the same part-time job at Red Bull and your friends (laughs) at what point do you go let's start a business together Willow and Blake actually didn't start as a business it started as Mm -hmm. a blog and for us it was really an outlet to write we were all um, very passionate writers but any publications that we worked with, they would kind of edit what you were writing into, like within an inch of its life, and there was mm-hmm. no soul left in it. 
we really wanted to write about the people behind a lot of the ideas and things that we loved. So we started Willow and Blake purely as an outlet for that. And I think the, I don't know, like the maybe the love that we poured mm-hmm. into the writing and the fact that it wasn't like everything else you read on the internet is why mm-hmm. people started to follow it. And it developed a bit of a following over the next, what, 12 months? Yeah. And we thought, more. Yeah. yeah. We started having requests coming in for freelance writing. And I guess it was mm-hmm. that that really spurred the idea for us. And we're like, hey, there's a big gap in the market to be an agency that focuses on the written word. And yeah, can we really pivot this into into a business idea? Except I don't think we would have used the word pivot in 2011. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think it was interesting because we were writing quite editorial style content mm-hmm. back in the day and we've always had quite a conversational tone mm-hmm. and that's something that a lot of businesses that long ago were looking for but there wasn't yeah. someone providing that. The copy that was out there was very educational a bit, stale. Um, a bit stale and I think people resonated with the way that we wrote because we connected to people on that emotional level mm-hmm. and that's I guess progressed with us as we've grown mm-hmm. so you guys are still running that business mm-hmm. along with Frank what were some of the biggest challenges that you encountered taking that leap from working part-time and running the business as a blog to turning it into a full-time role Oh, there were so many. So we were actually in our first jobs. We'd graduated uni by then and we were both working our first full-time jobs. Brie was Mm -hmm. at Broadsheet and I was at 360 Agency, which was a division of Warner Music. Mm -hmm. And we started Willow and Blake on the side. So we were those kind of crazy people Mm -hmm. working really long days. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jumping into a full-time job was really... I think a decision made out of youthful naivety because we really <laughs> <laughs> often the best decisions. Yeah, are. we had nothing to lose. We were very fortunate. We mm-hmm. were, um, yeah, we were really enthusiastic about being able to achieve something great. And if we didn't, mm-hmm. then there was always the chance to be able to go back and get another job. Mm-hmm. So there was nothing stopping us. Then when we added Frank into the mix, that I mean that was a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. We essentially had two full time jobs, and it's still a challenge to this day. Yeah, definitely. I think the challenge we had when we started in Willow and Blake was was our youth, for sure, mm-hmm. um, which was also a positive because yeah. we didn't have a set structured way of doing things. We were doing everything for the first time mm-hmm. and so that was, I guess, a challenge and uh, an opportunity because it meant we didn't have, I guess, a process flow. This is how we do strategy. This mm-hmm. is how we build a brand. We didn't have like a textbook process that we could follow so for every client we were making it up or like reinventing it which I think for our clients meant they got really great value Mm -hmm. because we weren't just using a cookie cutter approach yeah and the end product it wasn't ever the same we never used a format everyone's was unique and personalized to what their needs were but for us from a business perspective it meant we didn't have any economies of scale yes and so we were spending a lot more time on our on each process because we were redoing it for the first time every time Mm -hmm. and so working out how to make the business profitable in the early days again that wasn't the way our minds worked either we weren't thinking okay if we spend this long on a project it costs us x amount we just want to do the most amazing job Mm -hmm. that we could do for our clients Uh, and so obviously we still want to do that yes (laughs) (laughs) but now we understand the importance of tracking how long everything comes and really putting a price on our work that equates to the value that it offers Mm -hmm. to our clients yeah not just the time which is always the really difficult part of any Mm. agency client relationship Mm. absolutely and I think when people are starting out they tend to undervalue themselves without a doubt and we did a lot of work for free 
and antiquated a lot of the time. And that's part of starting a business. You can't expect to just go out there. But one of the best pieces of advice we got, I think it was your dad or your grandpa, said you are worth whatever price you put on yourself. Yeah, that was my grandpa. And that's something we really lived by. Well, just in case you weren't busy (laughs) enough during during those early days, 2013 saw... The launch of Frank. Now, mm. talk me through the light bulb moment because this is one of my favourite stories ever. Oh my god. <laughs> um, okay, so there was like it was the meeting of many moments. I think that created Frank. Mm-hmm. We and by we I mean myself and Brie. Um, we had really wanted the opportunity to build a brand from beginning to end. I think. Yeah. Um, something that we sort of started to see happen over and over again was our clients becoming very risk averse. They wanted really bold ideas, but when we put them in front of them, they sort of um, moved Sorry. toward. Can we edit that out. <laughs> we had a, um, a fire alarm go off in the middle of one of the interviews, so that's nothing. <laughs> um, so we saw our clients become very risk averse, and they really wanted the safe idea over and over. And mm-hmm. for us, we saw a lot of value in being able to rethink the mold and. I guess just do something really different, mm-hmm. but we couldn't always do that with our clients. Um, yeah. Alongside that, Brie and Steve, I mean, Steve and Alex, sorry, our mm-hmm. co-founders, um, they were really oh, keen God. to move. Let's start this bit again. Running two businesses. <laughs> <laughs> so it's on silent now. <laughs> I mean, okay. I'm probably going to label this in because it just shows how busy you are. <laughs> it's it's the reality of our yeah. lives. <laughs> so the four of us together, I guess... The ultimate part of it is that we really wanted to create a product. We were all working in service-based businesses, so mm-hmm. obviously you just heard what Willow was like. There yeah. was a, a limit in terms of scalability. Steve was running a couple of really awesome cafes, and Alex was working at the music agency that I mentioned uh-huh. earlier. That was how we met. Yeah. And we really saw an opportunity to create a product, utilize social media to market it, mm. specifically to people who were just like myself and Brie at the time, you know, millennial mm. consumers who were really interested in natural skincare, cruelty-free products, and who were really consuming everything through digital channels. Mm. But we didn't actually have the product. We went through so many different ideas Mm. and none of them felt right. And it wasn't until Steve came up with the idea for the original coffee scrub and we sort of mixed a bunch by hand, Mm. got in the shower and tried it. It felt so stupid covered in this stuff (laughs) that looked like dirt, but it just was like nothing we'd experienced before. It was, our skin felt really beautiful afterwards and it was actually quite a fun interesting process using the product mm-hmm. and I think all the light bulbs went off and we're like this is this is the one and there was some was it during the Steve owning, owning the cafe that some women came in and they were looking for like the garbage bags of yeah the yeah, yeah coffee yeah so he had two women who would consistently come into his cafe and ask for the old coffee grinds mm-hmm. and Steve is very entrepreneurial and his yeah. mind is always always thinking of new business ventures and he asked them what they wanted it for and they told him they were using it as a body exfoliator and it was one of those old wives tales lots of people were doing it Mm. making diy recipes but no one was marketing it yeah online and so yeah we did a lot of research and that was the i guess the foundation of Mm -hmm. what became frank body (laughs) well coffee is still very much at the center of frank as a brand and at the center of all of the Mm. products what does coffee actually do for the skin God, lots of things. So much. <laughs> yeah, so we have a pretty strict um, ingredient philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, our products have to be natural, they have yeah. to be effective, mm-hmm. and they have to be 
coffee-based. Yeah. Um, and there's a number of reasons we use coffee. First of all, it's a great natural exfoliant. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what was it, five years ago when mm-hmm. we started, there was a lot of exfoliators that use microbeads. Yeah. And we know now from the media how bad that is mm. for the environment. Whereas coffee is a natural product, it's sustainable, it doesn't clog up your drain, it mm-hmm. doesn't clog up the waterways, um, and it's obviously a great exfoliator. Mm. The way that um, we grind the coffee, we are quite particular about the consistency so that it doesn't tear or yeah, rip no the skin, doesn't yeah. scratch the skin, just gently buffs it away. Yeah. It's also full of antioxidants, which, yeah. as you would know, target free radicals yes. and are wonderful for treating a whole range of skin conditions. Mm-hmm. And they're going to keep us looking this age forever. Exactly. Which is my plan. Totally. Exactly. I'm going to look like this when I'm 80. Mm. <laughs> uh, and then, obviously, all of our products are pH balanced. Yeah. And coffee is naturally the right pH for us. What I like as well is that you guys have stayed true to that, like your products are natural, but you've never done it in a way that is like instilling fear in consumers, which I feel a lot of brands kind of do now. They push, you know, this is the natural alternative is better because... Yeah, the other one's going to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. You've never done that, but it's still, it's worked. No, it's always, and it's always been very intentional. Yeah. Mm. We don't want to be one of those brands that's instilling fear in people. Yeah. And the effects that some of these synthetic ingredients have is really, really scary. Absolutely. And we obviously done a lot of research into that and that's why we have such a strong Mm. list of ingredients that we just won't use in our products but it's more about educating people into the benefits of how natural products can be as effective Mm. as synthetic products that's been a huge challenge for us yeah i think it really stands back to the ethos of the brand in the beginning Mm. like when we started frank we didn't want to be one of those brands that was really jargon heavy Mm. or focusing on scientific language it was all about I guess simplifying it for a consumer mm-hmm. who was consuming everything digitally and had been really let down by a lot of the beauty industry mm-hmm. time yeah. and time again and she wanted something that was just cutting to the chase and honest and approachable and friendly and so that's why we take that approach now. I feel like it's one thing to have a great idea which obviously you guys had but it's a different thing entirely to go into manufacturing a product packaging it coming up with you know all the marketing collateral how did you make that leap from having an idea to you know launching a product Mm. (laughs) (laughs) i guess the manufacturing side is really when the boys come into their own and that's something Mm -hmm. that they really lead in the business and they've been so so incredible at taking the lead there in finding the manufacturers and dealing with them on a day-to-day basis um, but the process was really challenging. As you mm. know, we made all our products by hand for the yeah. first six months. Six yeah. months. That's insane to Yeah, me. I know. And we we're coming up to Christmas and we really remember it. We we're like, we actually can't cope with the demand. <laughs> we won't survive if we don't find a manufacturer before mm. Christmas. And we looked all over the world. We went to China and the samples we got back were just bad yeah (laughs) the quality wasn't there so we were really lucky that we were able to find a local manufacturer Mm -hmm. that we still work with today working with them for five years and they've been incredible in helping us grow that's amazing i feel like it's so rare for a brand to have stuck with the same manufacturer for you know Mm. the duration of the brand we're lucky like they we're really invested in each other like they've grown Mm. and we've grown Mm. it's been a really nice partnership that's nice. Uh, yeah, we're, we're very fortunate and it's very helpful that they're 25 minutes away so you can have oh, in-person perfect. meetings and we can really do a lot more quality control than we could if they were located elsewhere. I was going to bring up quality control because I feel like particularly mm. with beauty, you know, if they're overseas, you can't really, it's not a tangible thing. You mm. can't, you know, look at an email and yeah. be like, we can sign off on this. 
Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. And I think we're, we needed to find someone that was going to be willing to go through iteration 174 <laughs> with us because we're really particular and I think there are many manufacturers who probably would have told us mm. to take a hike, but they really <laughs> believe in producing quality products, which is nice. That's so good. And it shows in the products. Yeah. Hmm. Um, from my perspective as as a consumer of Frank, like you guys know I've used the products since they mm. came to be, I think a huge part of the appeal was sort of the voice. It was a bit cheeky. It wasn't like anything we'd seen before. Obviously, you guys, having Willow and Blake, have a background in copywriting. How did you work to sort of create the Frank voice? Because it is quite distinct and it's something that has remained really consistent for the five years. Mm. Yeah, so we, as I touched on earlier, when we were looking at what was going on in the beauty industry, it was, there was a real disconnect between companies and consumers. It's very Mm -hmm. corporate language and there was a very clear us and them. And when we knew that we were going to be using social to talk to our consumers, Mm -hmm. that was really the catalyst for us looking at the way that we spoke in an entirely different way. There were not many brands playing in that space. So to actually no. like come in and do it effectively, we needed to do it in a way that consumers were used to. So mm-hmm. in the same way that they would communicate with their friends is how we wanted them to communicate with Frank. So we thought if we're going to launch this brand through social, it probably makes sense that it has a really strong personality. Mm. And we just want to be really honest and really frank about everything. And that's the name. Exactly. Boom, boom. <laughs> so that's where the character of Frank came from. And we... We loved it. As soon as we started writing, it came to us so easily. Mm-hmm. It was like the cheeky voice inside all of our heads. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could really see the endless possibilities for it. Well, I'm glad you mentioned social because I feel like, you know, being a self-funded startup, you don't have the luxury of turning to traditional marketing. So you did use social mm-hmm. and I really feel like you were one of the first brands to capitalise mm-hmm. on that. However, 2013, Instagram wasn't what it was what it is today so you couldn't really look and be like this is what works this is what doesn't so what was the strategy were you just sort of playing it by ear or yeah I think content has always been our strong point Mm -hmm. and we knew what content was going to resonate with our audience yeah uh, and that was what we played into it was also what we invested in early on was the photography shoots and obviously the beautiful design and making sure everything was really consistent Mm -hmm. um but it's changed so much and i think when it comes to social there's not a magic formula and everyone's always trying to work out what's that magic i don't know one tip that's gonna make my social page go viral Mm -hmm. and grow and there isn't (laughs) even for for us five years later we're constantly reevaluating what we're doing on social Mm -hmm. and just testing different things and trying to work out what what's going to work and what's going to resonate but at the end of the day it really does come down to content yeah yeah if anything it was easier back then Mm. which is Mm. probably another thing everyone listening doesn't want to hear but it was really new territory it wasn't very competitive Mm. so if you did it well you could really make a lot of noise and resonate with heaps of consumers and Mm. now there's tens of thousands of brands playing on that space influencer Mm. marketing operates an entirely different way and it's still a hugely effective medium it's just different and, and more crowded it and yeah. yeah it's now it's pay to play whereas before it mm. was not mm. <laughs> yeah I feel like launching a brand with just one product I think that shows quite a lot of confidence in that product and rightly mm. so um had you already started to think about what might come next when you launched the original scrub or was it just you know were you being reactive now we had no plans for what would come after that in all honesty we mm-hmm. 
We never really planned beyond the first grab because for us it was a bit of a test case. We thought we've got an amazing product that we really love. We've got a good idea for a brand, but who knows how this will go. So yeah. let's get it out into the world and see how things come to be. Uh, and it was maybe six months in when we got to that point that Brie mentioned earlier around our capacity to manufacture during Christmas that we thought, you know what, we've actually got, like, this is pretty awesome. This following is mm. huge. People are responding really well to the product. Where can we take this? And so it was from there that we really started to brainstorm the next iterations of the Frank Body products. Um, and the next one was the coconut scrub. Mm. Um, we thought, mm. let's do a somewhat slight variation on the original on this what one. What was the timeline? Was it I, how long after the first launch? six months after launch. Yeah. I want to say it was like January of the following year. Well, yeah, Coconut was, was the first product that NBC manufactured. Yeah, so it would have been, would have been yeah. December. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, that was creating a version that was a little bit more friendly for sensitive skin mm-hmm. and nut-free. Um, and oh, yes. yeah, it was after that that we spun out into the body, the rest of the body mm. products and we created the body balm. Um, as a step one, step two. So it was all like, after that, it did become very strategic with how we mapped out our products. Yeah. But yeah, in all honesty, I I like to be really frank about that. We had no idea what we were doing right at the start. That's nice. That's Mm. refreshing. I'm going to, I'll get to that in a moment because I feel like a lot of people set out with a sort of different mindset now, but we'll get to that. So you've (laughs) since launched so many products. There's Mm -hmm. the tints, there's the whole face range, there's been limited edition collections how does the process work with like are you you know instinctual when you're coming up with something you want to launch you're going off customer demand where do you start it's both so mm-hmm. when we launched the face range that was really based on feedback from our customers they wanted to see something that was specifically made for the you know i guess more sensitive gentle skin on their face so yeah. that was why we created the scrub the cleanser and the moisturizer um, and people responded really well to that which was mm-hmm. awesome but then there have been things that we created purely out of a need. We mm-hmm. couldn't find anything in the market that sort of satisfied a need that we had and that was natural. Mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. would use that for the basis of a lot of product development um, and really trying to reinvent the wheel and do things mm-hmm. that haven't been done before, which was where like the shimmer scrub came from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. We like to, you know, we really pushed the envelope with our first product. There was nothing like that on shelves in stores. And so we thought we, we need to stay true to who we are as a brand and keep doing that. Mm-hmm. And how long does that process take from conceptualising a product through to getting it ready to launch? <laughs> it really depends on the product. As mm-hmm. Jess mentioned earlier, you know, we've had hundreds of iterations on some products. Yeah. You know, our oil cleanser took two years yeah. to oh, formulate. It's so good. I, oh, yeah, it's the best. Worth uh, two years of slaving away. Yeah, exactly. And the feedback we've had has been so incredible. Everyone mm-hmm. from beauty editors to everyday people that it has changed my life. It actually works. It takes off makeup so quickly. And so it was worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first iterations we got, it was like putting olive oil on your face <laughs> like you could not get it off and that was the hardest part I don't know if a lot of people will understand no. that it was the the peg and the surfactants that are present in a lot of natural oil mm. cleansers um, that are quite toxic but they're the things that make the oil cleanser and the makeup mm. actually come off your face yeah. so that was what we spent two years trying to formulate and uh, yeah we got there and I mean you we do. still use clean synthetics through our products mm. because we have absolutely no issue with them we yeah. still make up you Sometimes know. you kind of need to to stabilize. Exactly. Things. Yeah, especially when we're shipping our products all over the world mm. now. But the base of them and the majority of the product is still natural. Mm. Well, you are shipping all over the world now, and I know that you you were exclusively online until sort of late 2016. But mm-hmm. now you are in Mecca here. You're in Urban Outfitters in the US, sold online to the UK through ASOS. How has selling through other retailers sort of expanded the business? Oh. 
been huge. Um, the other two retailers that are important to mention were with Ulta in the yes. US. That's our major one there, and Sephora in That's EU, huge. which is yeah. crazy. Huge. Yeah. So it's completely changed the business, I would say. Yeah. But it's been a really nice change. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we took so many learnings from having full control for those first few years, and having everything go through dot com was great yeah. for us to really learn what resonated with our customers and position the brand exactly how we wanted. And so. I guess letting go of that control was something that was really hard for Jess and myself. (laughs) Um, We were very fussy about how we wanted people to receive Frank and how they wanted that first impression. Mm. Um, And it was only after meeting Joe from the founder of Mecca that I think we finally felt comfortable Mm -hmm. because we knew that they would represent our brand in the way that we wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, And so now the challenge is making sure that representation is consistent across the globe and also meeting retailers' timelines. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's a whole different ballgame. Like, we're working on things a year in advance Mm. now, whereas we were that Mm. tiny little startup, and if we wanted to bring something to market, we could potentially have Mm. it there within Mm -hmm. a couple of months. Exactly. That's not the case anymore. One of the things that was announced well in advance was the Shimmer Scrub. Mm -hmm. This, like, it just sticks in my mind. 55,000 people on a wait list before mm. the product had even launched. How do you build that level of hype around a product that hasn't even been reviewed by anyone yet? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that was, I mean, that even took us by surprise to be yeah. honest. Like we, we brainstormed that product mm. late the year prior on a director's retreat. So every year we would go away and spend a day or two together brainstorming what we're gonna do the next year. Mm-hmm. And it was our, I believe it was our COO at the time mm. who suggested that we do a bit of a referral yeah. campaign to launch the Shimmer Scrub and mm-hmm. that like virality from friends sharing stuff mm. as opposed to just the brand talking about it is really what kind of catapulted I've the Shimmer Scrub. I've I've still got <laughs> eight things of it at home. You're cute. Oh. But I think so good. part of it that we need to acknowledge that's not actually marketing based is that the product was really amazing. Mm-hmm. Like no one had seen anything like that before. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't a scrub that left you shiny when you got out of the shower. Yeah. And people were really excited by that and excited by the price point. Yeah. And I think that's what drove so many signups. Mm-hmm. And fifty five thousand. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. We did not anticipate that. <laughs> I think that's quite nice as well because now you've said a couple of times that you didn't anticipate the success of things, and this is what I wanted to talk about because. From doing this podcast, I'm finding that the businesses that do have that lasting success have gone into it because they had a great idea. Mm-hmm. They haven't set out going, I want to be an entrepreneur and I want it to happen now, Yeah. which I feel like is a bit of that happens now because people look at the success of a brand on social media and think, bang, this is what mm-hmm. I can do and become an overnight success. With that in mind, what is your advice to people who do want to launch a product or start a business? Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't think that there is such a thing as an overnight success. It might appear that way outwardly, but generally, I mean, we've been working in our respective fields for years, Mm. building up Mm. a lot of knowledge to be able to launch the brand. Um, And even though we may have only been working on it for, what, maybe seven or eight months before it launched, um, it's all of those years combined Mm. that really lead something. But I think, yeah, if you're going to do something because you want to make money, that's probably the wrong reason to do it. Yeah. Because you won't make money for a long time and you need to reinvest that money. And so if you don't Mm. love what you're doing, you're going to feel very unfulfilled because you'll work harder than you ever have in your life. Mm. Yeah. My advice is to always think about the execution. Mm -hmm. I think as you said before, it's not easy, but it's 
it's easy to have an idea. Yeah. Actually making that idea come to life and actually making it happen is the hard part. Mm. Um, and to use another one of our favorite sayings is patience and persistence. Yep. And yeah, it took us two years to make the oil cleanser. It took us, what, three years to get into Sephora, more, four years to get yep. into Sephora. You just have to keep persisting no yep. matter how hard it gets. And as Jess said, if your motivation is money, you probably won't have that persistence. Mm. I agree with that. Um, is there any advice that you guys received in the brand's infancy? I know we talked before mm. about thing of value on yeah. things, but yeah. is there any advice that has really stuck with you since launching Frank? Yeah, we've yeah. been given some really great nuggets yeah. over the years, haven't we? Yeah. Um, one that sticks with me is always assume positive intent. Damn it, I was going to say that no. one. No. <laughs> Brie and I are one brain for everybody listening. But I think the reason that we both love this so much is because it can be so easy in a, in a demanding business environment to assume the worst mm-hmm. um, without even realising that you're doing it. Yeah. Um, and it's it needs to be such a collaborative environment to make the best end product that that means mm-hmm. taking on feedback. And sometimes that feedback is constructive and critical Mm -hmm. so you need to assume that the person who's giving you that feedback is doing it to ultimately benefit the the entire team and get Mm -hmm. to that end goal Um, and that was yeah one of the most amazing pieces Mm -hmm. of advice Um, and I think what was the other one that's if you never ask Oh, the yeah. answer will always be no. That's a good one. Yeah, so if you never ask, the answer will always be no. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's the same. Like, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Yeah. And so over the years, we've had so much success just reaching out to people. Mm. I was remembering the other day when we launched Willow, we had this email that we'd send out to people and the subject line was coffee writing. And we just offered to take people out for a coffee um, oh, and, nice. and tell them about what we did. Mm-hmm. And the same when we did Frank. You know, we would reach out to people who have already had their own brands and mm-hmm. everyone was so willing to give their time and it's been so valuable for us just to ask that question and see what the answer is yeah i think so many people refer to it as hustling but to us it's just like business 101 you cannot expect to grow a startup without trying to reach out to everyone in your community and everyone in their community Mm. and so Mm. forth it's common sense i think it's no different to the way you guys use social media if you just sit there with a platform that's lying dormant how are people going to find you exactly would be like having a shop front with no signage. Exactly. It just doesn't make sense. It does not. <laughs> now, you guys talked earlier about the challenges you faced when you first launched the brand. What are some of the challenges you face now, given that you are running two businesses? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you hear Bree's phone before? <laughs> no. Um, in all honesty, I think time management is one of yeah. the, the hardest parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that balance between knowing what's going on everywhere so you can manage it effectively and not micromanaging your team yeah yeah um they're definitely yeah i think it's it's always yeah having that time to work on the business not in the business Mm -hmm. we spend so much time firefighting so putting out or solving little problems along Mm -hmm. the way that we get distracted and don't have time to really focus on the bigger picture yeah Um, which i think happens to a lot of founders um absolutely Staying relevant, I think, is still hard, especially as we get older and our customers don't necessarily get older with us. Mm-hmm. Trying to put myself back into the mindset of someone who's, you know, 10 years younger than me. I've got to constantly mm. remind myself mm-hmm. yes, that it's not about me, it's about what the customer wants. Mm-hmm. If you are a Gen Z listening and you would like to come and be our oracle, <laughs> please come. We'll welcome you to Frank Body anytime. I think it's it's easy, like even with our content and with our products, you know, your ego gets attached and it's what, mm. you know, this is what I like and it's not really about what you like. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like that would be my issue. Ego. <laughs> um, so you guys celebrated the fifth birthday earlier this year. Yeah, we did. Um, I feel like the industry, beauty has changed so much in the last five years. What are some of the biggest changes that you guys have seen? Ooh, it's a great question. Thank you. <laughs> there have been some really positive changes. I think overall there's a really big shift towards diversity and inclusivity mm. in mm-hmm. the space, which is really nice and really important. Yeah. I think the unfortunate there's a there's two sides to that, that it's not always authentic. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the time it can be a bit of a marketing ploy, which mm-hmm. is disappointing. But I think at least the fact that the, the conversation is happening is really yeah. positive. Mm. I think the democratization of beauty has been yeah. wonderful. Yeah. So many smaller players take on these huge companies like Estee Lauder and L'Oreal. Yes. And that's come about predominantly through social media, mm-hmm. I guess really leveling that playing field and giving the consumers a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as much about impressing beauty editors anymore as it is about empowering your customers because that's the most vocal people yeah. on the planet really yeah and there's actually like transparency mm. and accountability now like if the product is rubbish people are going to know because yes. they actually have a platform to say that so people aren't being duped into just buying mm. things that are mm. never going to work um and the consumers are so educated now mm. like i don't think that when yeah. i was 20 i had any idea what i was putting on my face i was just like this works well, i was waxing it. my whole eyebrows <laughs> <and> this <laughs> looks good but, yeah we all did the pencil pen eyebrows don't worry Okay. Yeah, so I, I like that, that people are a lot more educated and they have access to that information now. And mm. they know what they want, and so brands are starting to develop products because of that. Mm. Well, those changes in mind, what changes do you think we can expect to see in the next mm. five years? Ooh, I think there is going to be a lot more a lot more of a movement towards natural and clean products. We've yeah. obviously already seen that, mm-hmm. but I think that's going to continue on and I think the regulation is going to change particularly yes. in places like the US where their banned substance list is still minuscule yeah. it's in 11 ingredients 11 ingredients yeah that's crazy which is crazy 2000 in the EU mm. oh my god it's terrifying yeah. I think we'll probably see the marketing become a lot more strict as well mm-hmm. as a reflection of that currently it's still well I think it's still quite loose mm-hmm. what brands can get away with putting on their packaging yes in terms of you know clean and pure and how yeah. that can be misleading mm-hmm. for some customers I think yeah making the box green does not make <laughs> no, it natural it um yeah I I tend to agree mm. wholeheartedly with Brie I think it'll be about regulation which is really important in a mm-hmm. space where democratization of products is like that's been the driving force behind it but there needs to be accountability in that space as well mm-hmm. mm. absolutely now, you guys won the Verve New Generation Award in 2017. You've been included in Forbes 30 Under 30, and Frank is sold in something like 141 countries worldwide. Something, like something that. Yeah. Yeah. It changes every couple of weeks as we tick off another, yeah. another beautiful country. What a nice thing to lose track I of. <laughs> it's silly, isn't it? Crazy. Well, with all of that under your belt, Jess and Bray, what is next? Ooh. Ooh. Um, there are lots of things coming next. We, I think one of the really exciting things is some NPD that we've got mm. happening next mm. year, um, which is an entirely new category for Frank mm. Body um, that I think people will be very excited about because we are very, very excited mm-hmm. about it. And you are actually the very first person we're telling. Mm. Oh, an exclusive. <laughs> oh, my first podcast yes. exclusive. <laughs> uh, what else? We set up our 
New York office now. By New York office, so I mean amazing. a little we work. It's still <laughs> it's an office. office. It still counts. Yeah, that's been my eight years in the making for us to have a New York base. So we have five incredible women over mm-hmm. there leading the charge, and, and we really see that market progressing in leaps and bounds over the next few years. Mm-hmm. And then, God, the rest of the world. Yeah. That was Jess Hatsis and Bree Johnson co-founders of Frank Body, which you can find on Instagram at frank underscore bod or online at frankbody.com. To read my interview with Jess and Bree, you can visit glowjournal.com. And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please, please subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty lovers can find us and join the Glow Journal family. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me.